Welcome to the Joint Dynamics Intelligent Movement Series podcast, an ongoing discussion with experts in the fields of health, fitness, and performance, sharing the science and their tips and tricks that have the goal of taking your health from where you are to where you want it to be. Welcome back to the Joint Dynamics Intelligent Movement Podcast. My name is Andrew Cox. I'm one of the owners and directors here at Joint Dynamics. And today my special guest is Adil Town. So Adil started, her baby is the Anti-Stigma Project, which is part of Mind HK here in Hong Kong, which is an NGO uh, working in the field of mental health. Hey Adil, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Great to be, uh, have you here with me. Could you please tell me, first, let's start with what is Mind HK, and then uh, we'll dive into the other stuff from there. What is Mind HK? Sure. Um, so our kind of basic ethos is really, um, we want to make sure that nobody in Hong Kong who's facing a mental health problem is doing so by themselves. Um, and so we don't give any like frontline services, but what we do is bring in education um, and training. Um, we also do quite a lot of mental health awareness um, in Hong Kong, which um, I think is really needed. Um, and then we've recently have started delving more into research as well. So kind of looking at um, what mental health looks like in Hong Kong and particularly around stigma. And when you, just a moment ago, you said so they don't deal with these issues by themselves and then you follow it up with education. So by themselves, meaning, Andrew, I'm struggling with mental health at the moment. Here's a place where I can go to where I can gain some awareness and better understanding of what's going on in my mind. And via that way, when I go back and I'm by myself in my home, I'm better equipped to deal. So when you say by, by yourself, I, I don't call you on a, on a helpline, I yeah. go and learn from you yeah. how to manage, well, air quotes, manage, yeah. manage what I'm going through at that time. Yeah, exactly. So we don't provide any frontline services. Mm-hmm. Um, our sort of kind of big thing is really around um, teaching, basically teaching Hong Kong or talking to Hong Kong about mental health. So whether it's you, if you're struggling, you can go onto our website. And if you want to know, you know, what is depression? What are the signs and symptoms? Um, what is the treatment? Then you can go on our website and see that. And we also have a resources for you um, as well as a community um a community database for you to look for services um, out there. We are also really focused at anyone who's not struggling um, to better understand what is mental health because part of that is you know the stigma of mental health that's why mm. a lot of people don't um, actually come forward and, and talk about their mental health is because they're scared of being stigmatized so we want to make sure that everybody around you as well understands what you're going through if you're struggling. Which led to you creating the Anti-Stigma Project. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. Exactly. Which which essentially is an arm of Mind HK that you created that you spend most of your time. Is that correct? Yeah. So um, the more, so it's called, we've named it now, it's called More Than a Label. Oh, nice. So the idea is that people are more than their labels, more than, you know, depression and their whole human outside of, of what, you know, society kind of labels them as. Um, and so more than a label has, is now um, 
more so a campaign that we are running. So it's like a large scale campaign that we're running. Um, but it has very kind of humble beginnings. So the way MIND has been launched um, was through a mental health conference. Uh, so we brought in um, tens of speakers. I think there were, we had like some 50 speakers from all around the world and from Hong Kong um, as well. And so we had two days directly kind of geared towards professionals. Um, but on the last day of the conference, we wanted it to be open to the public so everybody can learn about mental health. And one of the sessions that we had was actually um, for five individuals who shared their story um, about mental health struggle. Because we know from research from other places in the world that education about mental health helps up to a point, but what really brings people around is listening and hearing from other people who have been there um, and seeing sort of what does the face of depression looks like or what does the face of anxiety look like and you know schizophrenia like what do these people what is their story what is their life like um, and understanding that it's not like these scary images that we kind of think about when we are not talking about mental health does it does that create if, if I put myself in the shoes of someone hearing from someone who has anxiety depression does that sort of create a well, that, they are actually just like me and mm -hmm. I could be someone that does suffer with depression, anxiety, schizophrenia. So it's, it's not that much of a leap between what they're going through and who I am currently. So therefore I will listen, maybe apply more empathy and give it more energy. To, is that yeah. part of why you would think? That seems to make sense to me, but yeah. I wonder, is that being feedback or is that you consciously made it that way that if you hear from another human being, just being a human being in front of you, then you can create that bridge? Absolutely. It's that human connection and seeing that because when the stigma of mental health is so kind of overwhelming, you think that if, you know, somebody has anxiety, they're just like this, like, you know, terrible thing that like you shouldn't be talking about. Mm. Um, and so when we don't talk about something, then we don't see it and we don't see what it looks like. When we start creating these you know, narratives um, that might not actually kind of comport with what is actually happening. And it's a lot of, you know, sometimes you struggle and, and you're, um, you know, it really does impact, it impacts your life in, in an incredibly meaningful way. But sometimes you see people and they're still functioning, but, you know, are they functioning optimally? No. Mm. Um, are Do they feel fulfilled? How are they doing kind of internally? probably terribly but they're you know still functioning i think a lot of people have this misconception that um once you have a mental health problem like that is it and your life is done um and also one of the biggest um stigmas around mental health particularly in hong kong um just kind of from our research is that more like more than 50% of individuals in Hong Kong think that mental health is due to a kind of um, a, a lack of, of kind of restraint or strength, mm. um, you know, which has yeah. nothing to do with it. Mental health is so complex. In Australia, it's a common saying, and certainly let's not use Australia as a bastion of <laughs> what to do in the cases of mental health, but there's a, a common saying, take a spoonful of cement and harden up like it's mm -hmm. common but but actually culturally which I, which I'd like to touch on from a Hong Kong perspective culturally in Australia there was an awareness of that 
and they created a program called Kind of Blue, and, and basically that was targeting blokes like me that might, in a former life, living in Australia, I might have said that, and I'm pretty sure I would have, and the, 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 yeah. the environment in which I grew up in, um, and knowing my father and you know, in the environment. So I, I, I would be pretty sure that I did say that. Um, so what, what happened, they created this project called Kind of Blue, and it was all around, especially they were targeting men, the people that say take a spoonful of <laughs> cement and harden up, mate, as, as opposed to, you know, if you've broken your leg, then that's something that's quite objective, isn't it? Oh, I can see that on an X-ray, you've broken your leg. Oh, mate, you're going to be okay? Whereas that, that grey area, that subjectivity of, of, of mental health, oh, just having a bad day, mate, get on with it. And that, that's previously very accurate of, of Australian culture. I'm, I'm not sure how it is now, but I do know that I haven't been to Australia for a while now due to what's been going on, but I remember the last time going to Australia, going to the, the men's room, the men's toilet in, in Sydney Airport, and standing at the urinal, and there's this big poster saying, telling about kind of blue, and I just thought, wow, wow, we've come such a long way. And there, there was even this advertisement where this boy runs up and his dad's at their, their fishing boat, and he yeah. says, oh, Dad, can, I can't remember the kid's name, they say, can John, my mate, come fishing with us on the weekend? And, he's, and his dad goes, oh, that's your, your mate with asthma. And then his son goes, yeah, he's got asthma. And he goes, well, he's got a ventilator. Oh, yeah, of course he can come. And then it's like, they do rewind. And then the boy runs up and says, Dad, Dad, can my mate John come fishing with us on the weekend? And the dad goes, oh, that's your mate with mental health issues, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And you see that there was this difference in the way that we would deal with that. Yeah. Culturally, in, in Hong Kong, if you could pass comments. So you're from Canada. Would you say Canada is similar culturally to Australia? Canada is very similar to Australia. And I actually, um, I, see, I sit on a consortium of um of individual kind of program um, leaders from around the world um, that specifically kind of look at stigma. Um, so it's a it's a global alliance that I sit on, and a lot of the programs in Canada and Australia are fairly similar, and they both have done a really good job around um, destigmatizing mental health. So they are they're quite you know far advanced um, and have some fantastic programs. So yeah, so I'd say you know they're they're quite similar. Maybe and then not Hong Kong. not as kind of macho in, in Canada. We're we're a bit more polite. <laughs> Come on, Australia, <laughs> we're getting there though. We're getting no, there. There's a lot of great work happening in Australia, yeah. um, and, and you I'm know the, a lot of outside of the, the cities, you know, country where I grew up, country towns. It, certainly, I'm sure that's changing. But it's not something that is confronted. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And if anything, it's put behind a closed, put behind a door and shut the door. Yeah. And you should be able to deal with it. You know? Yeah. Um, but I'm sure that's changing now. I can't pass comment. But yeah. can you pass comment on Hong Kong? Yeah. Culturally, what's happening here as far as mental health? So there are a few things that are happening. Um, the good things that are happening, uh, we sort of have to thank COVID for. Yeah. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, it's been a bit of a blessing in disguise uh, because it really has highlighted to people how important your mental health is and that anybody can suffer sort of under the right circumstances. So that has been really good because a lot of more people are actually aware and are noticing that they're struggling now. Um, as far as, you know, sort of the cultural idea of, of saving face and, and really kind of 
you know, not showing any any weakness. Um, it's it's great in some ways, but really kind of detrimental when it comes to mental health and being able mm. to talk about it. Um, so that's where we are trying to kind of break those boundaries and say, you know, it's it's okay to to say that you're not okay. Mm. Um, it's okay to have you know bad days, even if those bad days kind of string along to like a couple of weeks or you know months um but what's important is for you to to say something um so that's that's what we're trying to do so i think that something that you said about five minutes ago when you said of that person or i've got mental health therefore life is over it it, we don't look at it that way anymore You, you might go through periods where you are going through depression or or anxiety but that doesn't mean that that's a life sentence there are things you can do to help yourself and getting help and getting education and even seeing therapists. That's really important steps that can mean that you can learn to have the tools to deal with it. Yeah. Just as the same as someone might come here for back pain. Exactly. Not as if you can have back pain. You know, it's, it's a very, somewhere the stigma is funny. You know, we have people coming here saying to our physios, oh, my mother and dad, my mother and father had back pain, therefore I think I'm going to have back pain. Well, there is no genetic influence on back pain, you know what I mean? And so sometimes people believe that back pain is a life sentence, using that as an example, whereas the physio's role is similar to educate them, saying, absolutely not. It's no, you, You've got a back pain now, and you wouldn't believe how strong and resilient your spine is. You just need to create the right environment and give it the intention it deserves, yeah. and surely you'll recover from that. Yeah, um, and, and actually, you know, mental health, issues are very recoverable. That's the thing, the vast majority of people um, who struggle with their mental health do actually recover. Um, I think the caveat is is that recovery is is self-defined. So recovery to one person might mean something completely different to another. Um, So it might mean for one person to be completely off medications uh, and live, you know, their life as they want to in a a fulfilling manner. For another person, it might be to continue on medications um, and and kind of live your life in a fulfilling manner. It really is, the end goal is really about living your life as you want to um, and not having your mental health problems restrict your life whether it's on medications, still going to therapy, using, um, you know, coping strategies, whatever that looks like. It looks different for different people. And it also depends on, you know, what you're, you've gone through, what your diagnosis was, mm. um, and things like that. So, but otherwise, I mean, recovery, mental health problems are very much recoverable. And I think that's part of the stigma is that you, you people think it's like, this is it. Like, is, is there... Is there, because mental health is, is sort of different, even though we do have a psychologist here, we're so fortunate to have a psychologist, Catherine, who's amazing. Um, sometimes, though, when, when people come to see a physical therapist or they come to work with someone in the gym, over a, a period of time, when you when you build rapport with a client and you have trust and then, you know, you, there comes a time when you say you need to create an element of self-sovereignty in the sense of, do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's great that you're coming here, but... It would be great is if you did some work outside of when you come here. So please don't just hand your physical health over to us here at Joint Dynamics. We'll certainly support you and educate you. And whenever you come here, give you, you know, what you need for that, let's say, one hour and then give you some information that you can take away and even touch base with you on a regular occurrence if that's what the client wants. But ultimately, you know, you need to treat this as if there's no knight in silver, silver shining armor, excuse me, coming. You need to take some level of responsibility and 
what that means translates to is just do some, at first, basic human behaviours, a little bit more regular so you can get the results that you want. Yeah. Is there an element of that, that idea of self-sovereignty or you need to take some ownership of this this condition that you're you're struggling with at the moment, that challenges you at the moment? Is, is it similar to mental health or, be, or you just have to, maybe that, that building of rapport or you need to get to a certain point? Because like, it's so subjective. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I can measure here and we can show with movement screens and stuff like that it can be relatively objective, whereas what's going on beneath the skin in your head is so, such a, I imagine, quite difficult to, to quantify to a point where you can say, okay, now you need to take ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so when you're going to, when you're doing therapy, when you're going to therapy, um, the idea is not for you to, you know, die with your therapist <laughs> or retire with your therapist the idea is for you to work on processing what you're going through um whether it's kind of looking at the life circumstances that have led to to some of you know the struggles that you're um experiencing whether it's um looking at your upbringing or um you know, whatever it is that's contributing to to your mental health struggle. So it's looking at that, looking at how it impacts your behavior, how it impacts your emotions, um, and putting all those things together to to develop a really good strategy for your mental health. Um, Because at the end of the day, you kind of, you know, you say you say goodbye to your therapist at some point mm. um, because you have all these like great coping strategies um, under your belt, and you can you can manage things. And maybe you have to come in just like here, like you might need to come in um, once in a while for like a tune-up or you know for a chat. Um, but otherwise, you kind of go in and say like, "I got this." Um, and for some people, it means that therapy takes longer, shorter. It really is so dependent mm. um, on what the diagnosis is, the severity. There's just so much complexity. Also, on you know, what are the circumstances? Like, are you still living under those stressors um, that have created some of this? Uh, so for individuals who are, for example, living in poverty, like, you know, that like you have your coping strategies, but you know, if you're continuing to, to have this um, incredible amount of stress put upon you, um, you know, you might need some additional supports. We're a biopsychosocial animal, aren't we? <laughs> that that, that yeah. dictates who we are and where we're heading as well, which is Absolutely. makes it so fascinating to, to work with, you know, in a one on one environment. Yeah. That's that's in incredible yeah. to to be able to, to go through that even in a group yeah and, and a lot of people will always um you know ask like what is the one thing that you know made them depressed or made mm. them anxious um and it's never one thing it's accumulation of different things so like we have you know the biological factors and like those are our hormones our neurotransmitters it's also like our physical health because if we have an injury or you know mm. if we have a really bad diagnosis it's going to impact our mental health right like if an athlete gets injured and now they can't run or they can't you know participate in whatever they they were active in that really impacts your your sense of self Mm. um so there was the biological piece and then there is the psychological piece which has to do with our general like personality but also um you know our resilience our vulnerabilities our coping strategies 
Um, and then finally, like the last piece is social. Um, and this piece is really important because it can either be super micro, so it can be our friends and family and how we grew up and those dynamics, but it's also very macro considering sort of the community in which we grew up in and how they see mental health, the culture in which we grew up in and how they see mental health, even sort of like our gender, um, you know, our gender identities and, and how does that impact our mental health? So for women and for men, what, what does that do? So it's always kind of a constellation of all those three things kind of working on one another. Um, and even from a biological perspective, like I'm a big um, believer in epigenetics. So like, you know, what we're exposed to environmentally, like socially and like in the environment itself really impacts like the way our genes are expressed. And um, so all of this kind of, you can't separate one from the other. Hmm. The, the field of epigenetics is fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. And actually, in some way, that's empowering to know that the behaviors, behavior, do I exercise or not, the things that I eat or, or don't eat, you know, those behaviors that I can put into my day will actually have a really big influence on who I am tomorrow or the next day. Yeah. And I guess when you when you step back, so nutrition is a massive piece. When you look at the do you have a, um, the Western Price Foundation was something that I that I got into myself and a nutritionist and a doctor uh, excuse me a dentist. We started the Western Price Foundation in Hong Kong, um, and then that led me to the work of Natasha Campbell McBride. I don't know if you heard about the GAPS diet, gut and psychology. Um, but anyway, there was a lot of in those circles, and then obviously other circles, but it was, I found it empowering. And then to, to, to know that the foods that I eat will dictate the mood that I am and will also dictate that the soup, you know, those neurotransmitters and the hormones that are coming on in my brain and dictating the way that I feel also have an influence. Yeah, I mean, that. it all has influence, yeah. right? The things we eat, the activities we engage in. All of that comes together. It's never like one thing or the other. I mm. hate it when somebody is like, oh, this is like the cure-all. And it's like, mm. if somebody says like, yeah. this is the cure-all, it's probably not. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's just like, it's the dynamicism of like just all those things interacting, which is just so, um, so interesting. Um, what are some other things that have, that have come out? So in just say your research and then being in the field for how long have you been involved in this field? Um, so I've been with mine since we started. So that was, gosh, twenty seventeen. Yeah. Um, and you I, started the anti stigma project when? So technically, we kind of started it then at the um, at the conference. But the um, the training itself that I developed was came after the conference because what happened was um, we put on that session. I was the one who supported our five individuals to kind of craft their story and to talk about, um, you know, what would be helpful to, to learn about um, from an audience perspective. Um, because one thing that we know from the research as well is that just telling your story kind of unfeathered is not helpful. So we don't want like a stream of consciousness, like this is what, like everything that happened to me in my life. Mm. Um, that's actually, can actually be more stigmatizing. Um, it, on a rebound effect, is it cathartic to get it out? But then when you step away and go, oh my goodness, I can't believe I said that sort of. So both ways. So on one way from, from the person who's telling their story, they could step back and say like, oh my God, you know, that was somewhat like, that was part of my private life. I really didn't want this out there. 
from the audience perspective, they lose sight of the messaging mm. and they just kind of get enthralled in like the nitty gritty details. Um, it, and it almost becomes voyeuristic yeah. instead of like trying to understand this person that's in front of us. Um, so when we're talking about like sharing stories, it has to be structured. Um, there are rules like, you know, what you can and cannot talk about. So we do want to talk about everything. And we, you know, we, we talk about suicide. We talk about eating disorders. We're talking about sort of all the ugly and nitty gritty, but also kind of balancing that with talking about recovery. So people don't think that this is, you know, all that there is, is the struggle, but understanding that you can come out of the struggle. Um, and uh, making sure that like nothing that we talk about is uh, triggering where we've seen sort of um, other whether it's copycat around um, you know eating disorders so like you know, uh, ways of losing weight or ways of counting calories we don't want to promote those things um, and then same with uh, with suicide uh, and contagion so we don't want to to trigger these things and we don't want copycats uh, but we do want to talk about these so we, we train our ambassadors on how do you craft your story in a way that is you know safe for you so mm -hmm. that you can keep there are things that we do want to keep to, to ourselves we you know we're not asking any ambassador to just like put themselves out there um and that's what we really don't want to do like we don't want this to be like okay i'm going to the museum to look at the depressed person yeah um because that's really dangerous as well and so how do you it becomes a show story? it becomes a show yeah. exactly Isn't it fascinating that yeah you know, once I, I was in los angeles and i was staying at venice beach and i walked to santa monica um and then at santa monica there's sort of like this i call it a cliff but it's where the road divides and you drive to malibu and i was walking and i saw these people gathering and Almost people were shouting out a little bit of heckling. And I was thinking, what's going on? And then this person said, oh, there's a guy over there that's going to jump off this, like down onto where the, the highway to Malibu. And I just sort of sat back and watched this crowd of people. And some people were, were heckling. And then the guy said, oh, but the guy's been there before, as if just to wash it out. It's not a big deal that he wants to kill himself today. He's been here before trying to kill himself. But I was just struck by... It was a show, you know, someone mm -hmm. could have been there saying $20 to come and watch this poor guy who's suffering to the point that he's thinking about jumping off down onto the road down here. Why don't you guys come? It's such a, you know, the, the, again, that, that biopsychosocial influence of, of human beings and that voyeuristic desire that we have to watch someone go through something terrible. Yeah. And then if we bring that back to the role of the ambassadors, if you can create that bridge, I'm sure that must be such a powerful way to create change it's yeah it's incredibly powerful and like you know aside from like obviously we've seen that like it's powerful in the research but like just seeing it in our program has been incredible and like you know so them kind of knowing okay these are the things i can talk about the, these are the things i should um avoid you need help to I share I your talk? story don't you yeah That's you, very do, cool. you do and i think a lot of people don't appreciate um how important it is to, to understand that sort of like building that structure and having that messaging come across. Um, we've had a lot of, of organizations and individuals who wanted to, you know, like, oh, we want to do a thing where everybody talks about their mental health and shares, you know, in, in, in a very public way. And we're like, no, mm. <laughs> that's not the way it works. Um, 
So having that structure um, has been incredible. And so in our events, um, what I have noticed and I was really struck by is that um, our ambassadors will share and then we'll go to the Q&A. And initially I thought the Q&A would be more kind of humanistic questions, like how did that make you feel or like how did you deal with this, like X, Y, Z. But it ended up being people putting into the chat box, this is what I have been dealing with, what should I do? Um, and it was almost like our ambassadors, by telling their story, they gave permission mm. for other people to come out. And I ended up, um, oftentimes I was moderating and as a clinician, I would basically end up doing the whole Q&A because it was all clinical questions um, and, and telling people like you, you need to, to seek out help. Um, but it really did, I was really surprised by the level of openness that it brought out of other, other people when they saw, you know, our ambassadors sharing and they were like, I I'm going through this. Like, yeah. this is what I'm dealing with. Um, so in that has way, been really powerful. In some way, if I step back, can you go, you're preaching to the converted because anyone that's going there. But then if you step further back, do you, do you think that, that those numbers are growing? So that seemed almost, or well, just preaching to the converted. Yes, absolutely, Andrew, but the people that are coming here are coming for reason. And I believe that that circle is getting bigger, which means that yeah. the work you're doing, is it, have you noticed that it's that it's growing? Yeah. So In response to a need, can I throw in after that as well? Absolutely. I think it has grown over COVID. Um, I definitely well, do. Mate, we so. don't need any research on that, do we? You, yeah. you, you want to create the perfect environment, isolate people, don't let them have sunshine, don't let them have movement. Yeah, that's the, the perfect, yeah. <laughs> What's going on in Shanghai at the moment as we speak must just be creating so many challenges for people's mental health. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really difficult kind of dealing with, with sort of like this, like, you know, this idea around kind of infection control, that's sure, that's one piece, but like, you know, we have to mm. kind of think about the whole person and sort of how everything else is connected and, and yeah. impactful as well. It's easy to just, sorry, I, I don't want to be, mm. it's easy mm -hmm. to justify, well, Andrew, okay, yes, we are risking mental health, but there is another lens to say that if we let people out, then we're risking increased death from COVID. Okay, cool, I understand that, but I'm, I'm just saying, regardless of the narrative, it, it is interesting to to look at, well, what is happening as far as mental health and what have we created or increased yeah. the likelihood of creating? And I think, I think also everybody is kind of playing like it's a, you know, zero sum game where, you know, you either have to, you know, protect people against infection or mental health. And, and I think that that piece is, is not true. We can mm. strike a balance. Um, and this is also where the stigma comes Jeez, from. I'm going to throw you, put you on the spot in a minute. Oh, I love what you just said. Keep going and then I'll ask you the question. <laughs> I don't answer <laughs> Sorry, can I, can I? I just yeah. I want to jump in. I'm so yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah. You said it doesn't have to be zero sum. We don't have to focus on, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm trying to do my best. We don't have to just focus on, you know, containing a virus and we don't have to just focus on mental health. If you could create, here's the question, if you could create, let's say, as best to your current capacity right now, mm. because believe it or not, I deal on myself, you know, we don't know, or I don't know very many answers. That's why I speak to smarter people like you. Um, but if, if you were to step back and go, you know what would have been great during this period, knowing that mental health has gone up, here's what I would have done. What would have you done? 
Is there anything that that really jumps out at you based on your experience and running yeah. this project? And yeah, um, I think I mean there are a few things. I think what COVID really did was highlight the deficiencies in any system, right? Like we saw it in the West. We saw it, like every country, like the issues that have been brewing have been really like exploded under COVID. Um, and I think, you know, from a government perspective, I think, I think it's hard because, you know, you are, you have this kind of life. Yeah. yeah. Like you're trying to like save, like, you know, life in one sense. Um, but you know, during COVID, we also had an increase in, um, in suicides. Um, so, so, so we have to kind of balance the two. So, it, you know, in a perfect world, what would have happened? Um, in a perfect world, I guess, you know, you, you do the, the infection control pieces, you know, the masking, the washing the hands, doing, um, you know, all of the... the um, uh, the stuff to control the, the virus, the, the spread of the virus, the, virus yes, like the, the temperatures, all that jazz. Um, but then also thinking about, okay, if we need to keep people away from the office... Um, what other what other services can we you know um, enhance um, to create community? Is that what you're heading with? To create community, but also create supports um, you know within the community. So, yeah. like, do we need to to have more telehealth um, to help people? You know, do we need? I know at the beginning of the pandemic, we actually worked with um, the community itself. Um, so we worked with therapists in the community, and we created a helpline. Um, so it was the, our COVID scheme, and we basically, um, you know, recruited a whole bunch of, of therapists who did this like vol- totally voluntarily, um, and they provided I think it was ten sessions if I if I remember correctly ten sessions um, of support. It was very structured. It wasn't like they're not like fully your therapist, but they're there to support you mm. um, through this time. So like you know, could we have bolstered up those things? Um, knowing that we, we need to ask people to stay, you know, yeah. um, isolated. For it is, I, I, I'm sorry, time. it's a really difficult question. Yeah. But it's a fascinating one to, mm-hmm. to just go, well, I'm going to have a go at it. Here's what, from my experience, what I think. Yeah, and I think I think the piece around stigma in this is that when mental health is so stigmatized, mm. it doesn't actually get considered in policy. Um, so so we... we that's why I think it's really important to, to talk about mental health so that more people have awareness, so that more people think, okay, you know what, like we do need to put this in policies. We do need to think about this when we're thinking about like what measures we, we need to put out there. Is that, is that happening now? Have you heard these? Has the narrative changed from a, from a governmental perspective? Have you noticed? Um, I think there, I think there is, you know, um, an understanding that like people are struggling and that, you know, we need to, to support, um, individuals. Um, I know. So yours is an NGO. Are there now governmental organizations that are popping up that you've noticed? You've got your finger on the pulse in this, in the world of mental health. Uh, Have you noticed that there's been some government initiatives? Yeah. So shall we talk? Um, shall we talk? That's the name of the initiative. Um, yeah, it's called Shall We Talk, and that started, oh, gosh, um, 
at the beginning of the pandemic. It wasn't related to the pandemic, but it was about mental health awareness. Um, and that has grown. There have been other um, local kind of NGOs that uh, have, you know, WhatsApp platforms for, for young people who are in crisis um, and different crisis hotlines um, who have gotten kind of more funding um, and, and more support. So that, that has been really good. Um, My next question to yeah. you, based on you having the finger on the pulse in this, in this world, have you noticed that the age of people coming forward to say they have mental health, because mental health has always been there and maybe people are growing in confidence or maybe the position's getting bad enough where you feel like you might be to we'll go forward and ask for help, which you end up and say, hey, I'm struggling, can you help me a little bit? Um, have you noticed that the age has got younger, older, stayed the same? Has there been anything that you've noticed as far as the age demographic or everything's just stayed the same? I don't know about the age. I'm trying to think. We just did a study, and I, I don't remember what they said about the age. When it comes to seeking out help, um, unfortunately, that statistic is quite grim. Hmm. Um, so 80% of individuals who are struggling um, said that they you know, have not sought help. 80%? So, yeah, so a large majority. So if you think about 80%. You want to be a high achiever, you know what I mean? Jump from the 80%. So, you know what I mean? Stand out in the crowd because um, yeah. only 20% of people come forward. Yeah, so it's it's really stark. Um, and a lot of it is there has to be around, um, you know, how people are going to view them. Um, some people are kind of worried about their jobs. Which are very real concerns, isn't it? Those but, are real concerns. Like, yeah. This is where the stigma kind of hits at, yeah. like, your basic humanity, your ability to, like, make a living. You know, if you, you're just struggling in silence um, because you're worried that, like, you'll lose your job and then mm. you won't be able to, you know, put a roof over your head. Like, yeah. It gets to, to very ba- – it's, it's much more – a lot of people talk about stigma from, like, a – seeking help perspective um but it's a lot more pervasive it's like the policies it's like the ability for people to like live their lives on a very basic level it's not even like oh you know elevating consciousness (laughs) or anything like that it's like i need to make a living so that i can afford my apartment um so i'm just gonna zip it about my depression and just like yeah this could this could affect affect me the role that i have in the or even you know um, sometimes people in, in higher management with the, the loads and the, the pressures mm-hmm. that they have can suffer, but they mightn't be able to admit that they're challenged with mental health due to their thinking, well, people mightn't view me the way and I might lose my role as being higher management. Uh, absolutely, mm. absolutely. And I think in Hong Kong that's so important because Hong Kong is such a hierarchical... Yeah, that status roles and the position society. we take, yeah. Yeah, so when the companies that I think have done the best is the ones where I have seen um, kind of upper management actually come to our talks uh, and participate. Um, We've had a few talks where, um, you know, the CEO or CFO was introducing me um, and they actually started it off by like talking about like what their struggles has been, have been, it might not be like, you know, a diagnosable like depression or anxiety, but um, definitely saying like, you know, it's been really hard. I've been away from my family during this time um, and I've noticed how it's impacted me or like working from home has been, you know, really lousy and I've noticed how it impacted me. And just having, you know, just a couple of lines like that from somebody um, who, you know, he's, who's the boss 
is so impactful for the rest of the company. Sort of creates that permissibility within that organization, does it? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And it comes like from the top down. Um, where Which is no surprise, is it? Uh, you know, no. no. In any organization, it has to come from top down. Yeah, yes. Unless you have someone at the bottom who adds a link to the person at the top and can influence them somehow with their passion, their yeah. enthusiasm exactly. somehow. But all these things, I know the stuff that we do with corporates. Yeah. It, it has to come from, if they want success, if they're going to spend money, you have to get that, that order of permissibility from top down exactly. to get buy-in from the people you're trying to reach. Exactly. And because, I mean, if you're just going to say, okay, we're, we're going to do a mental health like webinar, um, you know, people are just going to be like, yeah, okay, mm. that's great. But like, that doesn't help me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> with my job like I don't I don't know you kind of you say I can tell you but like that's not what I see the culture to be mm. um, it's just like that meme where people are like oh I'm tired I'm exhausted I have so much work stress you know so like the HR guy is like oh yeah um, so uh, no so the, the employee is like oh okay we're gonna have like more days off we're gonna have you know higher pay we're gonna have like a cap on like the hours like that we work and it's like no we're gonna have a webinar yeah um, and you can wear jeans to work on friday yeah Ooh, exactly. musty yeah. friday i know yeah. so i was laughing at that because i was like oh we are that webinar yeah. <laughs> but what we do tell companies is like yes you can bring us in and we can talk um to employees and we can do our training but if the culture is not as such, if you're not showing them on a day-to-day -day basis, mm. you know, what resources are out there, if you're not talking to them about mental health on a day-to-day -day basis, if the, the managers, the line managers are not aware of what to look for, um, then, you know, great. Like, sure, we'll, we'll take your donation, but it's not going to make it. Yeah, in order to make change, though, with, with anything, it has to be consistency there, doesn't it? It has to be consistent. Yeah. It has to be like, forward, and, and there has to be a lot of awareness, it, particularly, I think, in the workplace, because people are, you know, distrusting of, like, what will happen to them if they mm. talk. Um, so that kind of consistently showing them that we are supportive, you can't come here, um, is, is really important. What, what excites you about this area that you're working in at the moment? Like, is it, when you say research or recent interactions or even observations from you, someone who's around this environment a lot and has understanding of what's going on with cultural organisations in Hong Kong and your reference from Canada and all the work you've done. Yeah. It, it, are there some things that, that excite you at the moment because you, you feel that we're trending in the right direction as a result of some things that you've noticed that are changing? To be honest, I think, and it's going to be a bit hokey, but our ambassadors. Um, so whenever we put, um, you know, notice up that we're we're doing another training, we have lots of signups. Um, initially, so I just quantify yeah. an ambassador. An ambassador is someone that is currently dealing with mental health and they've come through your program and they're happy to share their story. Is that what an ambassador is? So or an ambassador is a person who is. Um, in their recovery phase. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, you know, for, if a person is currently struggling, we want them to take care of themselves first. Yeah. Um, and then once they've kind of emerged and, and they're in recovery, um, you know, if they want to talk, then, then we'd love to, to train them. Um, so we do ask for people to be in recovery because that's really important because sharing your story um, is, it's impactful, but also difficult 
to kind of drudge up and think about like all those difficult times, even though you're you're obviously going to talk about your recovery as well. Um, it's a lot to go through. So we do want people who are who are doing well and who are in recovery. Um, and um, our ambassadors are just individuals who are in recovery and who have taken our, our course and, and they do events for us. And debriefing with your ambassadors who you've just said are exciting because they're, they're the ones that are helping you create change, right? mm-hmm. do yeah. the work that you want to do, which is great. Uh, when you debrief with your ambassadors, for example, after maybe a conference or whatever, do, is some of what, what helps them is that, and I, mate, I, I, I shudder to speak, speak about mental health, but confidently, but I'm going to, I'm just going to pass on my own experience of being around people and my own experience. Um, does that give meaning to what their struggle? Do you know what I mean? If, if I'm in the role of an ambassador, ambassador, man, I've struggled with words, <laughs> ambassador. If I take on the, the role of ambassador, in some way I would go, wow, this gives meaning to the struggle that I've been through. And now I can help other people, which actually helps me in return. It, it's selfish benevolence is the term that I that sort of works there. Is, yeah. is that does it give meaning to that was a excuse my French, that was a shit time of my life <laughs> and I dealt with it and struggled to it. And I'm, maybe I still had my ups and downs and my struggles, but I'm trending in the right direction. Now standing, putting my hand up and getting the opportunity to be an ambassador, it actually gives more meaning to my struggle. Which means the likelihood of me going back there is is less. Is that one way to think of that as well? For me, that mm-hmm. sort of makes sense. Would that be accurate? Yeah. So it definitely gives kind of meaning to what you've gone through and your experiences. Whether it would stop you from you know having a relapse or having a difficult time, I'm not sure about about that. But it, it gives you. It does give you. It does give meaning, and it it gives meaning to to what you've gone through. But you can say if I had more meaning and more purpose in my life, my my trajectory is more beneficial than if absolutely. I feel I have no meaning absolutely yeah. it's absolutely helpful um and and that's the funny thing about it is that it is um therapeutic but it's not therapy so mm. we want to make sure that people nice. understand like that we are not therapy like this is not therapy um but I think you know I do think people find it kind of cathartic and, and therapeutic to one be able to put meaning and and sort of pay it forward to other people. Um, also, what we've noticed is um, when they come in for the training, because it's all in, in a group, um, they actually have made connections. So we've had people who became friends through meeting. Um, and there's community, another there's piece of the pie. So not only do exactly. we have meaning and purpose, but we have community. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, seeing that and seeing kind of, you know, like-minded people and, and, and understanding, like, knowing that you kind of understand, like, my struggle as well um, has been really fantastic. So so that has been incredibly meaningful, and, and that has been really nice for me to see and how um, the ambassadors get involved. Uh, we have, we now have, so I started the pilot when I put together this, this training, um, it was, it's just me kind of facilitating, um, the training. Now we actually have, um, a facilitator for mind. Um, I'm still on the call, like on to, to, from a clinical perspective to kind of pay attention to like how people are doing. Mm. Um, and then we have an ambassador who is part, was part of the facilitating team. Um, and that has been incredible to watch, to, to see the ambassadors now become part of the training team. And because the insights that they give during the training 
are so unique to them mm. from that perspective of I was in your shoes. I was, you know, learning about being an ambassador. I've now shared my story. This is what I learned about the experience where, you know, I can't say that. I can't, you know, I can tell them like, you know, these are what are the things that we need to do or um, these are the conversations that are helpful or like how do you manage conversations. Um, but I can't tell them like what it felt like when somebody asked me a difficult question or somebody made um, a really insensitive comment. Um, Which must just make your organization, every ambassador must just add another layer to mm-hmm. the anti-stigma project. Absolutely. Would you mind sharing, obviously keeping anonymous, the story of one ambassador that sticks out in your mind. Let's call them. Let's call this person. Um, I'm looking at a samurai video. One of my mates gave me this old school. The samurai. It's a, it's a DVD. So let's call this person the samurai. Um, <laughs> can you tell me the story of the samurai? One story of an ambassador that really stands out in your mind, not disregarding all the others that you have, but just yeah. one that stood out in your mind from the onset, what they were going through, some of the steps that they took, and then what they did as an ambassador. Would you mind sharing one story? Yeah. Um, of the samurai. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll actually say say the name because one of the things that we actually teach okay, cool. is um, not to be anonymous. Um, so anonymity can actually increase the stigma of mental health because it shows people like, yeah, you can talk about it, but like you need to hide it. Okay. Um, so I don't think um, she, this person will mind, um, but uh, Erica has been fantastic. So the reason I picked actually Erica and Jeff, um, they have been part of Jeffrica. Jeffrica. We can make them two people. Two people. <laughs> <laughs> Choose the one that most that, or um, blend yeah. the story from both of them if you if you'd like to. Oh, there's so many. So um, I, I think I have it obviously a spot a soft spot for my pilot group because Mm. that was like the first group and I had no idea what I was doing they didn't know what they were doing um and we were kind of you know figuring this this out together um and and actually maybe I'll just put the whole group up there because it was you know um Erica Jeff Kobe um and Ben who really um have put so much of their heart and soul into this they all come from very different perspectives, um, but all have managed with depression and anxiety um, in some forms. And What age range are we talking between those four people? Um, they're anywhere between um, 20s to kind of early 40s, I would say. And culturally all local from Hong Kong or? Um, so... Two local, two expats. So it's quite broad from age and from yeah, culture. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us the story of Jeffrey, of Kobe. Jeffrey that Kobe. I can't blend those four names into one. Um, and what I, what I loved about them is, I mean, they all have their own unique stories. A lot of it um, kind of stems from, you know, initial, like, anxiety, like a lot of anxiety and... and um, that affected them how, that, I won't go outside yeah. today and I won't go outside for a week or I'm, I'm pulling away from friendships, I'm not playing sport, I'm not going to work, I don't eat, I yeah. don't get dressed, I'm not shaving. What, what are we talking? So a little bit of everything. So, um, you know. What's the worst thing that you can remember that, that you would say? Um, 
the worst. Uh, so, the, I mean, we have ranges because, I mean, I, I don't know if you can kind of quantify it, but... Um, it's a generalisation. I apologise for that. Yeah. But on the metric of what most so, people would say, you, you know... know um, the worst you know, thing that could happen is suicide. Obviously, it wasn't that. But on the, and and then the thing that's not as bad as suicide is, you know, I didn't get out of bed for two, three days. Somewhere, what were some of the ones towards the the bottom end of the scale that most of us generalising would say, man, that's really really challenging. Really tough. Um, yeah, so not being able to to go out and really isolating yourself from the world. Um, you know, Kobe um, struggled with. Um, bipolar disorder so she also had manic episodes sometimes she'd be up then so, she would crash like, super super up for for a period of time um she didn't have forgive as me many for a second jumping in but you, you know that yeah. what would maslow say he who is good with a hammer thinks everything is a nail um but but did she you know when you said up and down first thing that jumped in my head and please I, i'm not really confident what i'm saying but was that was that person's diet really bad? So they ate foods that would give them a sugar hit, and then they would crash down. Was there an understanding of the foods that they? Ate? Um, no, so nothing to do with the foods. Nothing. It's yeah, it's it was you know there. It's not like significant it's, enough. Um, no, I wouldn't say like there was anything kind of like you know out of the ordinary that you know they were eating. Um, it was just part of like their their mental health diagnosis. Got it. So she was. Up, then down. So yeah, so periods of, of up, um, and then she would come down. I, I, if I remember correctly, she didn't have a lot of like very depressive episodes, but uh, but more so kind of manic episodes. Um, you know, we have Ben who really, you know, was managing grief. Um, we had. Did any of that manifest as a way that I'm going to create a behavior that is going to hurt myself? Sometimes, you know. There was a lot, I think, I think they would all kind of agree that there was a lot of like behaviors that were really harmful to them. Um, and that's part of like the Can mental you give one health. Example? Um, one example, uh, I think, you know, there was some substance use. Okay. Um, substance use, like, alcohol, or, or it doesn't matter when you're in that state, I mean, that, everything's really an amplifier, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it's whatever, like kind of yeah. whatever floats your boat, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, whatever kind of works at that point in time. So, you know, dealing with, with substance use, dealing with like these, th- these manic highs, uh, dealing with, um, ideas that you're, you're unwell when, when you're not actually unwell kind of physically. So, um, so more kind of a, from a hypochondria perspective. Um, so, I mean, and they all got help both from from the people around them, as in um, each other, Jeff, Erica, Kobe, as in and the other. Um, no, so like with with regards to their recovery, it was more around like the people around them, from and that's your, I think from your organization. Um, no, just like their family members. Oh, okay, cool. Um, so they put their hand up and say, hey, I'm struggling, mum, dad, brother, sister, friends. Or people around them notice that they're struggling. Um, so I think the common thread for for all of them is that they had people around them um, that were supportive. Uh, which was really, really important mm. for them to kind of take the, those next steps to, to actually, you know, getting professional help. Um, and that's like one of the big common threads around sort of like their recovery. And then um, coming to us, it was incredible to see um, how they were doing. And was it a time, what was the timeline if you average out those four people? As in, let's say... Jeff dealt with mental issues, mental health issues for a year before he came. 
or oh, Erica know. dealt with it for a week and she said, well, that's it. My mum or my dad or my friend just said, you to do. Do you, do you have an understanding of the time frame? I don't remember the time frame. For some of them, it was, um, you know, kind of years. And then also for, for a lot of them. Suffered in silence for years? Yeah. For a lot of them, they didn't realize that they were okay. struggling. They thought that, you know, you're supposed to feel this, this way. This is the norm. This is normal. Um, you know, having this much stress because... Um, you know, you're you're a high achiever at school, plus you're playing sports and doing everything else and trying to be like perfect for everyone else. That was normal. Mm. Um, so I think a lot of them, if they look back, they're like, you know what, I probably was struggling way before I could even um, kind of put my finger on it. Um, and and kind of seeing how you know if they've gotten involved like jeff sends me um organizations all the time he talks about like our program all the time and he kind of makes connections and he's like you need to talk about like you need to talk to these people like they need to hear from you guys um erica has been out there kind of also you know putting together like events um that we've done at her workplace and and for her to like kind of talk about this like really publicly in her workplace um, has been fantastic and Ben actually um, part of the training that we do uh, is that we do some media training for for ambassadors like to how if you know if because we get a lot of um, media who ask us for like interviews with our ambassadors so if you do have an interview like what are the things to expect what what are we um you know what to prepare for uh and ben actually created like that like little media module so he's very much embedded in the training as well um kobe as well has been in so many events and has been you know really active um in in supporting us so it's just been incredible to see uh how they've kind of become ambassadors and have like really run with it um and i see that in all of the ambassadors that we've had since that's obviously like you know those are like my first group um and, and so when you think about different. their their success or the the, mm -hmm. the turnaround in their, their mental health if you could quantify it with knowing that we are biopsychosocial and understanding the anti-stigma project through education what would you say would, would be the magic source that created that, that results for those people? Is it indeed becoming an ambassador or, or did you see the change after that first time when they came in and they said, look, I need help, and then they received education and then they went away and they applied that education, I'm assuming, or what, what, do you know what I mean? Was there there's something that you can highlight because, you know, I would love to know. Is there something that, that you felt was the magic source towards what you've created that helped these people? Um, and again, of course, yeah. it's, remember, it's not the one thing. I'm not asking for the yeah. one thing, but it, what, what could you quantify is, is the power behind the Anti-Stigma Project, if you, if you thought about it? If I thought about it, I think it's a community that it builds because yeah. they also still keep in touch. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I do think it's a, it's a bit of that community and, and seeing other people, um, who have struggled kind of also want to, to, you know, give to, to the people of Hong Kong. Like, and then also seeing other people sure. that have come out of their struggle and now experiencing more success that, that can that also help? Yeah, absolutely. And just kind it's of just sides, that shared it? narrative, like yeah. we've gone through this 
obviously every everyone's story is different and unique um but understanding that like you know we we've gone through this situation and we've we've made it through and um and and here we are and and having being able to say that what would be let's let's flip this another way now uh sometimes you were saying that they don't put their hand up for help it's the people around them mm-hmm. that say hey do you know what it seems to me like you're struggling with something what would be some telltale signs if I was a mum, dad, a friend, a brother, a sister, and I, and I wasn't sure, what would be some, some, some signs that I could look out for before I would say, hey, Andrew, are you okay? Because I've noticed you're doing this. You should reach out to Mind HK, the Anti-Stigma Project, get some help, you know, or put your hand up to get help. What would be some things to look out for? So the big thing to look out for is really change in behaviour. Um, so kind of comparing a person to themselves. Um, so if you have, um, a young person who was very outgoing, very like sociable, all of a sudden withdrawing, um, that's, that's a big kind of red flag. Mm. So looking for changes, looking for changes in, you know, sleep patterns, you know, you can either sleep too much sleep too little um or even sometimes kind of having your um your your internal clock kind of flip so not being able to sleep at night but then wanting to just sleep all throughout the day um changes in like eating patterns even right um either restricting um or kind of binging or or eating too much so so not having that balance um increased irritability so um you know I think I think it's important for us to, to see it in others, but I also think it's important for us to, to be self-reflective. Um, every we all have like that telltale sign when like we are getting to the point where we have been under quite a lot of stress, um, and that stress is starting to get to us, right? Because stress in in and of itself is not a mental health problem. Stress mm-hmm. is actually really helpful at optimal you know levels it, yeah. it drives that us that inverse to do you things. relationship exactly it? yeah. it's just like when we tip over is when we're under too much stress for a really long period of time so that's like covid um or if we are um you know under a lot of stress and we don't have those coping strategies to deal with it um you know so i have my telltale sign i get really teary-eyed at like just anything <laughs> when I'm like super stressed. Um, my husband has a telltale sign of like, he just like will get really like just irritable um, and little things will just kind of like, I don't say like set him off. He's not like a violent person, but he'll just be like a little bit more persnickety. Mm-hmm. Um, so paying attention to to those tell signs um, and seeing that and whether it's in your children or your spouse or your friends, noticing if they're getting more irritable, if they're getting more teary-eyed, um, where, you know, that behavior would have been uh, like not usual for them. And then if you notice that, is there a good, better, best? Is there a way that you could can I use the word confront? Is there a way that you would bring that up with someone? Mm -hmm. What would be, if you were to give me one or two, or if you want three, mate, tips on Andrew, here's how I would suggest that you frame this conversation. Is that important or not? Just say, hey, do you need help? Okay, cool, share. Yeah, it's incredibly important. Help me, please, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I'm also going to do a shameless plug, but um, it's really important to when you're noticing the behavior or you're noticing these changes um, to talk to them about it and not just be like, Meh, it's just like they're having like a bad day or month. Mm. Um, but 
you know, first you have to prepare yourself. So that's tip number one. Make sure that you are in like the, the headspace to have that conversation. Yeah, I'm going to use your word persnickety. If I'm feeling persnickety, I can't even say. If I'm feeling persnickety, that's from the Journal of Mental Health, no doubt, that word. <laughs> Absolutely. It's very <laughs> <If> technical. <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm feeling persnickety, now's not the time for me to go up to my the person that I care about. I need to prepare myself. So I need to be in a pretty good space myself. Exactly. Exactly. Because it takes, it does take a lot to, to help and support somebody else and mm. to, to create that. Yeah, that, that takes space. energy as well, doesn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. A ton of energy. And the energy you bring is also slightly contagious, you would say as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, so first of all, check in with yourself, see how you're doing. Got it. And then pick a good time to have that conversation. Um, Give so me an like, example of a good time. Well, if you're like, let's say if you're in the office and you want to talk to one of your colleagues because you notice that they're struggling, four o'clock on a Friday is a, is a shit yeah. time. Yeah. You're tired. They're tired. They're tired. There's We're 20 people tired. around. Now is not, the, not time. the time. Yeah, yeah. Right? So picking a good time in the sense that like you both have the time to have this conversation mm. and also kind of you know, making sure that you're putting it on the schedule. So like letting them know that you want to chat with them so that they put the time, like, you know, make sure that they have the time as well and they're not like rushing off to another appointment. Yeah, sometimes the environment in which we put ourselves in dictates the filters that we bring to our life and what we're prepared to share. Would would creating a good time, just say if if my mate Sharpo was was struggling and I noticed that he wasn't getting out of bed, you know, he, he was binging, all those things that you said are telltale signs, would it be a good idea to choose Hong Kong environment as an example? Say, hey... Hey mate, do you want to just go for a hike on Saturday morning? That's and then perfect. it seems when I'm outdoors and I'm I'm moving, I might be more. And it's just the two of us in a beautiful place. It might be more open for me to have those conversations. Absolutely, it's perfect. So you can sort of, in some way, try to coordinate. Yeah, yeah. And I think what's really important is meet them where they're at. So if they if they're okay to have a hike or go out for a walk, that's I think that's fantastic because mm. then you're combining two things. You're combining you know, friendship and like that human connection, you're combining the chatting, the talking, and then you're combining physical activity and nature. So that's yeah, like... Let's not forget sunlight. I know it seems almost like we don't need to say anything about sunlight, but we need to mention that there's an optimal amount of sunlight that we need, we need to stay it. healthy. Yeah. Absolutely. The sunlight, the, the hearing the birds, seeing, you know, yeah. the greenery. I feel better already, says Sharpo. <laughs> Um, but if they want to stay in and, and you can say like, oh, can yeah, I come over and see you? Yeah. So just meet them where they're at. Obviously, you know, going out for a hike is fantastic. It's also really good because it's not so confrontational. You're mm. standing side by side. You're not kind of staring at each other. Um, that would make it easy, let's say, say in that example. That would make it easy for me as well. I imagine here we are sitting down opposing each other, looking at each other. I imagine if I had to sit down and lean into my mate and go, I've noticed you're not feeling very well. Being an Australian as well, if I was looking forward and you were looking forward and every now and then we met eyes and then I would focus on the trees and I I feel that would make me feel more relaxed as well. And I mean, the the conversation is going to be hard for both of you. It's going to be a very difficult conversation for both of you and and how to approach it. Um, So yeah, so just making sure that you have the time, making sure that like you're thinking about like where to to have the conversation. Um, Obviously you want to have... um, uh, uh, you want this to be confidential as well. So, so having you know uh, 
a place where where it's 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 nice and quiet and, and on the hike it's it's totally fine because mm. people are walking nobody's listening to you is it important for me to say to say f- to my mate in that example you know that you can trust me and this goes no further do you need to say that or not mm-hmm. or you i guess it depends on the relationship you have with someone yeah but is would that be important to build another level of trust yeah so it's important to say like you know i'm, I'm talking to you about this because i really care about you yeah. um and i've noticed you know x y and z um and i just wanted to see like how can i help um you know and you can you can let them know like you know this is between the two of us um this is a conversation that we're going to have between the two of us obviously it gets a little bit complicated if suicide is kind of yeah. tossed in there yeah, of course um but so this is where my shameless plug is going to come in mental health first aid um which is something that i was teaching this morning um is literally what it sounds like it's just like medical first aid um but we teach people how to help support an individual who is struggling or in crisis at that moment to get them to the supports that they need so how do you start those conversations um how do you kind of support them and and how do you talk about like getting support like going in and getting you know professional support or mm. depending on kind of what level of support they need just just on that shameless plug because you're doing great work mm-hmm. how would I just let's jump ahead how would I find that right now because I'd be intrigued if I'm listening to this I'm like holy cow where can I find out because that seems to be a really important service do I just go to the anti-stigma project to find that so you can go to mind Hong Kong mind HK if yeah. you go to um, to our training uh, tab it will have all the trainings and mental events. health uh, what first was it called? Aid. Mental health first, first aid. aid. Okay, yeah, cool. so it's a fantastic. It really is a fantastic training. Um, it originated in Australia, um, so it is proprietary. So, and, and we've been they've done like a train the trainer in Hong Kong. Um, the Hong and they Kong don't say you need to take it. Oh, sorry, they don't say you need to take a spoonful of cement hard up in that. Not so much. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Just need to get that out there again. Yeah. Australia are doing okay. That's great. We show them that we're going. going yeah. Forward. So it's been kind of licensed to the Mental Mental That's Health brilliant. Association of Hong Kong, um, and then they came and, and did a train the trainer with us, and so we are licensed to to do this training. Um, Sorry, back yeah. to the conversation for a second. Yeah. That I, that you know, ideally, I'm outdoors in nature with my friend. Does yeah? You know, I, I put myself in that situation, in the theatre of my mind. I feel like that I would make a joke about something. It, does humor help? You humor or you just need to be careful. Can help, but be careful. You better know the the person um, you're cracking a joke at. You want to be able to know the person. Yeah. See if that's going to land right. Because yeah. again, um, again, the the uh, cultural. Let's say I'm Australian from a small country town. I'm stoked. But you know, there's there's idiosyncrasies that I have that are deeply embedded. And I imagine if I was having that conversation. With my mate, I would be feeling uncomfortable, and then I, I would just feel that my way of dealing with that, which would probably be pathetic to be honest, would me to crack a joke, and yeah. and that might help me, but it might not help my friend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you have. So to- who are you doing it for, Andrew? Dickhead. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's not about you, mate. It's about your mate, isn't it? Exactly. Okay. And that's where I think. Back to my shameless, but with mental health first aid, you get to practice these conversations. That's so you brilliant. get to say it Role out loud, play. literally. Literally, that's brilliant, and it feels weird and it feels contrived, but you at least get to try it out and and hear what it sounds like, you know, outside, like when you actually say it yeah. out loud outside of your head. Um, so so that has been has that has been really 
you know, fantastic. And I really like the, I really like training um, in mental health first aid. So I had one in the morning um, because you have such great people? conversations. 15 people and that's an ideal let's let's say energy for for a class like that yeah because you do talk about some heavy stuff so we yeah. talked about suicide today uh and how to ask the question like how to ask if somebody is uh thinking about suicide um which is very confronting uh so we uh, so generally yeah. have smaller a smaller class so that people can feel uh more comfortable and we are doing it on zoom so so we have developed it um with mental health first aid, uh, mental health, the Hong Kong Mental Health Alliance um, has developed. A, a, basically, it's it's a combination of um, because traditionally it's basically uh, I think it's like sixteen hours um, over generally kind of two days, um, so it's quite intensive. Uh, so now, and it used to be in person. Now we're doing it where when we're offering it online, you do some modules on your own, and then you come for oh, that's for two two hour set two and a half hour sessions to actually talk it out uh, and have the instructor kind of go over some highlights and also um, practice. It's amazing. And then last thing, yeah. <laughs> do you also teach? breathing practices or mindfulness you know i've seen some research that that sort of suggests that that's good i'm not saying it's easy to meditate or it's easy to practice mindfulness but is that part of the skill set that you're trying your best to teach these guys empower these guys with um no so we don't teach them directly we do talk about like how helpful uh those strategies are um so we have like other trainings where we talk about mental health 101 we have another training that is um, about your well-being that is actually being piloted right now so maybe we're doing that in in that one a little Mm -hmm. bit more kind of uh practicing meditation like practicing kind of mindfulness um we do have uh if people go to our website uh, at mindhk.com we do have a self-help guidebook that will guide you through that's a valuable resource Um, i can get that just by logging on it's totally free. Say that website again. MindHK.com. I can go there and there's that resource. That's and there's that resource. If you look wow. at our resources, uh, we developed it for f- technically for COVID, but it can be used anytime. And it yeah. takes you through different um, practices. It's all based on, it's kind of CBT-ish based. Um, Cognitive it, behavior therapy when yes. you say CBT. Yes. yes. Thank you. Um, and it's it's based on that, but it because... The, the reason why we came out with this booklet is because we had to stop the uh, the COVID scheme where we had therapists mm. um, helping support individuals because um, therapists also got super busy and it just became unsustainable. Um, so we came up with this with this book so that you can work through it kind of day by day and, and, and practice by practice. Well, that's a big go-to if I'm listening to yeah, this. Yeah, and we have it. It's bilingual. Um and unfortunately for COVID, I mean, we, we unfortunately had to, to come up with a bunch of resources. We have a lot of resources of, like, how to manage your mental health when you're in quarantine because I did quarantine for a time, so. Um, There's a case study. Well done. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, sorry, yeah. man. I'm going to have to. No. That, that's amazing. I'm literally, total truth, I have a client, which is crazy. <laughs> so I'm, I'm so sorry, but we could keep yeah. going for a lot longer. This has been a fascinating conversation. No, thank so, you. So for me to find you, I literally, I go, 
mindhk.com. Yeah, mindhk.com. And if you want to see the stories from our ambassadors, um, it's more than a label. Uh, more than a label. Yeah. Can you you can send me all these and I'll put them in the episode oh, direction. Perfect. Is there a social media page as well? Yeah, it's uh, at more than a label and at mindhk. So Amazing. Thanks easy. for coming in, Adila. Awesome. That was great. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Fun. Yeah, it was fun, isn't it? These yeah. are great, these conversations, aren't they? Yeah. I'm big on podcasts, so I was really happy to do this. I'm like, oh, yay. And we're going to wind up right now. Thank you for joining us. Uh, and I'll be back in two weeks with another hopefully great fireside chat. That was fantastic. Thanks for coming in, mate. See ya. Thank you.